On Wednesday morning, I hope you will remember to pray for Pastor Lisa. She will be at Mount Wesley, our Methodist encampment in Kerrville, Texas, and she will go for her final interview before the Board of Ordained Ministry. That's from about 8.30 till noon. Yeah, you can clap. It's okay. (laughs) And when she passes that interview, did you hear my... (laughs) When she passes that interview, the next step in the ordination process is to go before annual conference. That's the second week of June down in Corpus Christi before the Rio uh, Texas conference. And there, there will be a clergy session and we will vote on her. It's really a formality. And then as a part of that, she will appear before the bishop with these other candidates for ordination. And one question that she will answer, because I answered it, and all of the Methodist pastors since the very beginning in the 1700s have answered, is this question, are you ready? Are you going on to perfection? They kind of expect you to say yes (laughs) to, to that question. My Hebrew professor in seminary, who was a United Methodist pastor, said that when he came to that moment and the bishop looked at him and the other candidates for ministry and asked, are you going on to perfection? He looked down and he kept his mouth closed. He said, how dare I or anybody say, yeah, perfect. We have trouble with this word, perfect, perfection. I'm a perfectionist. I know I have some issues. (laughs) Some of you are saying, amen, Lynn, you know, out there, I can hear you (laughs) right now. And Jesus If you followed the Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew's Gospel, he has caused us a lot of trouble already. As he said these words to us over the last few weeks, if you've been reading the Gospels, Jesus says things like, "Uh, well, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I say to you, don't even have anger against somebody else. Last week, we did the sensitive subject of sexuality. You remember this? You've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I say, if you've even looked at someone with lust in your heart, you've already committed that sin. Jesus is calling for a higher righteousness all along here. Today, he says, love those who are your neighbors or love those who love you. No, love your enemies and pray for them. Perfect, he says. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. There's some other scriptures that kind of inform this. If you look in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, the 19th chapter, the second verse, the Lord God says, be holy because I am holy. When Luke remembers this story of Jesus, he says, be merciful as your father is merciful. I don't know about you, but I'm still stuck. (laughs) Those seem to be just as hard as being perfect, to be holy and to be merciful towards other people. How can we possibly live into this? I think the scriptures have some insights for us, even in today's passage, because the concrete context is to love just those who love you, no, to love even your enemies. And it said something like this, if someone strikes you on the cheek, turn your other cheek. If someone demands your outer garment, give them your inner garment also. 
If someone demands you to walk one mile with them, walk the extra mile with them. This is what perfect looks like. Follow me just a moment. I've preached on this before, but I'll review it real quickly because we sometimes miss what's going on here. When Jesus says, turn the other cheek, he doesn't say, well, just lie down and take it. Don't accept the abuse. What he's trying to say is, turn the other cheek means have that person deal with you like you're a person and not an object. Because what you would do, if you wanted to show that you had power over somebody, you would slap them with the back of your right hand on their right cheek. If you turn your other cheek to them, you make that other person who supposedly has power over you, either box you with their right fist or slap you with their left fist, which is dirty, okay? It's saying to that other person, I am worth something. I am a person of dignity. You must deal with me. It changes the dynamic. Still with me? About that outer cloak and inner garment and stuff, you could loan your outer garment, but they had to give it back at at the end of the day. So if the person held your outer garment, and you'd say, okay, that's all right. Here, take my inner garment as well. I'll go around naked because the shame is on you. You have put me in this box here, in this position. So you have to deal with me as a person. To go the extra mile, a Roman soldier could say to, to an ordinary citizen, carry my pack. By law, it was only for one mile. If you say, well, I'll go the extra mile. I'll go another mile. They go, oh, no, no, don't do that. Because then it puts the shame on them. It changes the dynamic here. Still with me? You're saying, I am of worth. Deal with me as a person of dignity. It changes the relationship, changes the dynamic here. It is going on to perfection. It is a way of showing love, of saying, we got to change this power differential here and all get on the same plane together. This works not just on an individual level, it works on a corporate or country level. If you remember Gandhi in India, he practiced this kind of thing. He said, yeah, go ahead, make us suffer. We'll take all the suffering so that you will see how much we love you. Martin Luther King, he practiced the same kind of discipline when he changed the power dynamic there and got us to deal with persons of color. South Africa, Bishop Desmond Tutu, Nelson Mandela, they did the same kind of thing, and it brings about a change, not just in individuals, but in a whole country, whole corporate society. Going on to perfection. This is so hard. (laughs) We're so good at drawing lines about saying, Well, I can love you, but I can't love you. I can forgive you, but I can't forgive you. I have mercy on you, but not on you. We're good at drawing lines. I'm going to set up a video that we're going to see here in just a moment. It's from the film Freedom Riders. It's based on a true story. 1994, there was a school in Long Beach, California, And there was this very idealistic teacher, first-year teacher named Aaron Gruel, who went into the school that had been recently integrated, much to everybody's dismay. It was a high-functioning, high-honor school, but now it's just in disarray. Because in this school, it was beset by gang warfare. And this is the way the lines were drawn. The Latinos 
hated the Cambodians. The Cambodians hated the blacks. The blacks hated the whites. You get the drift here. Everybody had their own little box. And Aaron steps into this situation trying to change the dynamic. There was a death because of a gang warfare. And then she played this game. It's called the line game in her class. Let's see the video. We're going to play a game, all right? It's a lot of fun, I promise. Look, you can either sit in your seats reading those workbooks or you can play a game. Either way, you're in here till the bell rings. Okay. This is called the line game. I'm going to ask you a question. If that question applies to you, you step onto the line and then step back away for the next question. Easy, right? The first question. How many of you have the new Snoop Dogg album? Okay, back away. Next question. How many of you have seen Boys in the Hood? Okay, next question. How many of you live in the projects? How many of you know someone, a friend or relative, who was or is in juvenile hall or jail? <laughs> How many of you have been in juvenile hall or jail for any length of time? Does the refugee camp count? You decide. How many of you know where to get drugs right now? How many of you know someone in a gang? How many of you are gang members? Okay. That was a stupid question, wasn't it? Yeah. Not allowed gang affiliations in school. I apologize for asking my badness. <laughs> okay, now I'm gonna ask you a more serious question. Stand on the line if you've lost a friend to gang violence. Stay on the line if you've lost more than one friend. Three. Four or more.
sometimes I still cry. We're all on the line. We're all vulnerable. We're all broken. I have a friend who, a pastor friend who told me, anytime we draw a line, Jesus is always on the other side of that line. That's good theology. Jesus crossed the line. God became flesh. God met us where we are in our brokenness. Going on to perfection, we can't do it by ourselves. We needed Jesus in our lives. In 1980, I stood before the bishop to become ordained as an elder in the United Methodist Church. And the bishop asked me that question, are you going on to perfection? And I said, yes, because of the question that was right before that question. And that was the question, have you faith in Christ? And I said, yes, I can't do it by myself. It's God's work in me, in you, in us. In Methodist theology, we call this sanctification. We're going on to holiness. It's not just being saved one time. I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Wonderful thing. But it's saying, what happens after that? It's the work of the Spirit in us to call us into holiness, to keep growing, to keep going on to perfection. I love that about our theology, that God's not through with us yet. And we're going on. It's always a growth, always a process. God's not through with us yet. It's impossible to do without Jesus. It's impossible to do without this community. Today, I'm asking you, Jesus is asking you to go into perfection just to take one step towards that line or maybe even across that line. Who's that person? Who's that group? What what has Jesus placed on your heart where you need to grow? The good news is this. Jesus has crossed the line and goes with us as we're going on to perfection. Amen.